Hey folks, it's Andy, the Analytical Preacher. I had someone ask me a question recently. They had read some verses in the Old Testament, in in what's called the Books of Moses, the Law of Moses, where it spoke to the Israelite nation about how they were to address or treat of foreigners who were either traveling among them or even living among them. And the question they asked me was, did these verses dictate how a Christian in today's world should vote or support uh, different immigration policies? And specifically, they wanted to know what type of immigration policies did the Bible direct a Christian to support or or to vote for politicians uh, that supported that particular immigration policy? Uh, so uh, let me say, first of all, preachers love those kinds of questions because what typically happens is someone comes to a minister and says, this is how I think the world should work. I think I've found a Bible verse that I can twist into agreeing with me. And will you rubber stamp or give the stamp of approval to my twisted interpretation of this verse that lets me think or do or behave the way that I really desire to. So I have to give this person major kudos for just coming and saying, without trying to twist any belief or any uh, idea out of the scriptures, they simply read some scriptures that dealt with, uh, again, as the Bible refers to it, foreigners in your land. And they said, wow, should this be directly influencing or determining where I stand on America's immigration policy? So good for them. Uh, let me let me do this. Let's read the verses Uh, in question. Uh, I'll just quickly read the verses as they appear in the scripture. Uh, So from kind of beginning to uh, the the last. Uh, Well, I'll read the verses as they appear in scripture, and then we'll talk about what they might mean for us as uh, Christian American citizens today. All right, the first verse is in the book of Exodus, which is the second book in the Bible. Uh, The book of Exodus chapter 12, verse 49, and it says this, the same law will will apply to both the native and the foreigner who resides among you. Exodus 22, verse 21 and 22 says this, You must not exploit a foreign resident or oppress him, since you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. Leviticus, next book, Leviticus 19, uh, chapters 33 and 34. When a foreigner lives with you in your land, you must not oppress them. You must regard the foreigner who lives with you as the native born among you. You are to love him as yourself, for you were foreigners in the land of Egypt. I am Yahweh your God. Leviticus, continuing in the same book, Leviticus 23, verse 22, says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, You are not to reap all the way to the edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the foreign resident. I am Yahweh, your God. We go to another book, Deuteronomy. We'll go to the 10th uh, chapter here. uh, Verses 17 to 19 says this, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, mighty, and awesome God showing no partiality and taking no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner, giving him food and clothing. You also must love the foreigner since you were foreigners 
in the land of Egypt. We see a real clear pattern here. Let me read you one more verse, also in the book of Deuteronomy 24th chapter, and I'm going to read the 17th verse, and then I'm going to hop over for time's sake and read verses 20 and 21 as well of Deuteronomy 24. And it says this, Do not deny justice to a foreigner or a fatherless child, and do not take a widow's garment as security. When you knock down the fruit from your olive tree, you must not go over the branches again. What remains will be for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you must not glean what is left. What remains will be for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. So the first thing that hits us as we read these verses is clearly God loves people, whether they were uh, members of the Israelite nation, which he had called his chosen people, certainly whether they're uh, residents or citizens of America or any other country, God's loving everyone the same. So whenever he talks to citizens of a specific country, he will always remind the citizens and the residents of that country, when an immigrant or a foreigner is among you, you must what? You must treat them with equal justice. You must love them as you love um, your other brothers and sisters. Uh, you must do charity work for them and so forth. Uh, what the scriptures here don't really do, because again, all of those verses are really relating to us as individuals. What the scriptures don't really do is say, here is the appropriate immigration policy for a country, or the scriptures don't say there should be no immigration policy, or there should be a tight immigration policy. Um, the fact is, I have spoken to hundreds of Christians who read these verses, who uh, really desire to live their lives according to biblical principles, yet who come up with fairly different ideas about what the best immigration policy is. Some of this, of course, is just due to where they may be in life at the time. So they may be living in an area where there's been some economic struggle, where people are struggling to find jobs. And their thought is, if we bring even additional people into our state or into our county to compete for already scarce jobs, it's just going to lower the wages for all of us. And I really don't see how that's going to benefit anybody. Somebody else may have worked for an immigrant that started their own business and they're like, wow, this is awesome. Bring as many of these uh, men and women in as you can and let them really make our country more robust. So a lot of it is based more on personal issues. Uh, here's what overarching biblical principles would tell us. Overarching biblical principles would say this, whatever immigration policy you support, and again, it may be different region to region, or it may be different in different times. During a pandemic like COVID, we may say we want to have immigration policy like this when the pandemic is over. We may want to substantially loosen our immigration policy. Whatever your immigration policy is, whether it's based on geographic issues or whether it's based on national security issues or economic issues or health issues, you do, we Christians just always have to make sure Whatever we would support in terms of policy, we need to make sure it's not based in any way on bias or bigotry on our part. As long as it's not, good Christians will differ in terms of the type of immigration policy that they would support. As some read these verses, they say, yeah, the actual immigration policy, so the level of immigration, the types of individuals we allow to, to come into the country, 
may not be dictated by scriptures, but there does appear to be some role for government, uh, say, in terms of like welfare for immigrants and that sort of stuff. But again, these verses here that we read, they're really speaking personally. Those verses that speak about not hitting the olive trees twice and, and not harvesting your field all the way to the edges, but leaving something for the fatherless and the widows and, and the foreigners or the immigrants uh, are those who are different from us ethnically. Um, that's really speaking to our personal charity. And so if you said to me, well, if this, if scripture doesn't dictate specifically the type of immigration policy, the level of immigration that America should allow, for example, what do those verses tell us? Those verses tell us again, you need to love the immigrant as a brother and a sister. When they are here, you need to love them as a brother or a sister. You need to make sure that justice is being applied equally to them, though they may not understand the system as well as you. We need to make sure that justice is applied equally to them. And you do need to give consideration to them when you do your giving and your charity work. And again, I think this is really saying personally, you and the churches that you go to and the nonprofits that you support with your donations, those really need to be taking this into consideration. It's always easier, of course, to say, well, just let the government tax the rich people and let them give. That's not really what the Bible is saying here. The Bible's encouraging us, challenging us, really, I would say, commanding or requiring us. No, you need to be personally vested in making sure that these individuals are recognized and treated fairly and taken care of. Just our small church uh, in a small little corner of Georgia, uh, we try to do a number of things. Over uh, the last number of years, we've taught uh, free English classes to immigrants. For example, almost all are Spanish speakers in our area, but uh, we teach free uh, beginners classes and free intermediate classes for folks just to really try to help folks um, and, and as, as part of those, we help them fill out employment papers and school papers for their children. And uh, they'll bring in letters they get from the government and we'll help to them to interpret them and things like that. Uh, for those who've gone the next step and they become uh, what's called a green card holder or a permanent resident and they're looking uh, to earn their citizenship, uh, we've uh, offered a couple of times uh, free citizenship classes to help folks prep for the test there. We've done some tutoring for elementary age students. And again, in our area, it's primarily um, Spanish-speaking students, though, though we do have some West African students as well. But um, we've done some tutoring to try to help students where English is not the native language, and especially if English is not spoken primarily in the household. When a child gets ready to go to school, that, that shift to English can be a little bit of a challenge sometimes. And so we just provide tutors really just to read with students and speak to them in English and just to help them kind of that first, second, third grade to get ready. Uh, we also partner. Uh, the YMCA has a really powerful and valuable program uh, called their Early Learning Readiness Program. They have a bilingual version of this, uh, and which again, they're trying to prep students before they get into first and second and third grade and, and need us to help tutor them. They, they provide uh, some preschool sort of prep work um, that involves both get ready for school and begin to get accustomed to speaking this language on a regular basis. And so we partner with the YMCA to do those sort of things. And again, we feel like that's more what these scriptures 
are saying, and we don't want to kind of push that burden off on someone else. We want to actively be involved personally. We want our church to be involved. And we also support uh, financially and with our time other nonprofits that are trying to do those exact same things. But let me just close out with three more points here uh, before we wrap this podcast up. Um, I'll give you my personal opinion, and and I will admit that generally speaking, why would you care uh, about my personal opinion? You have your own opinions, and I think really you would come to a podcast uh, like the Analytical Preacher to say, I have my opinion, you have your opinion, but what does the Bible say and what a direction or even, again, requirements and commands do Scripture give us relative to this? But, but I will give you my personal opinion here, and, and really for a couple of reasons, my formal training before I went into ministry, my formal training was in economics and I worked in the corporate world uh, as an economist for a number of years. I've been a minister now uh, for about 10 years and I have had the the privilege, the opportunity to work in a community where there are a, a number of immigrants. Again, it's it's um, almost all, um, seven out of eight are probably from Central South America and then uh, the kind of that remaining 10 or 12 percent from West Africa. But I've had a real opportunity to work with immigrants. Uh, when I was in the business world, um, my first uh, job, I worked for an immigrant. I've worked for immigrant-owned companies. I've hired individuals from other companies. So I think between the economics degrees, the business, and then all of my uh, uh, opportunity in, in ministry, I, I can absolutely say this. My personal opinion is that um, immigrants provide a real benefit to this country. And it's a little more than just diversity is good, though diversity is good. Uh, immigrants provide a real benefit to this country. I would personally like to see probably our immigration policy be a little looser than what a lot of other folks um, might be, kind of the, that average or median American view of it. My view would probably be a little bit broader immigration, a little bit higher levels of immigration. And from an economist standpoint, I will simply say this. When a country begins to age, as America is doing, having enough workers becomes an issue. And America is at an inflection point. If you look at the demographics, if you look at the graphs, and if we look at countries that are ahead of us in that aging process, so think about countries like Japan and France, we can see that as their populations aged and they weren't as aggressive with immigration, they kept a much tighter lid on allowing immigrants in. We see that those countries begin to struggle. Now they've got this vast population of retired and aging individuals and honestly not enough individuals to fund their industries, to work in and promote and build out their industries. And so if you look at, say, Japan and France as this is America in 10 or 15 years, it's not a particularly appealing picture. And I think immigrants are probably the fastest and best way to make sure that our aging population doesn't overtake our working age population. Again, as we've seen happen in some other countries. And so I personally am for a relatively uh, loose immigration in terms of numbers. Now, again, in terms of who you let in, uh, that's one thing, right? We, we, we want to let in good, hardworking people uh, and not criminals. But this, the second thing I would say, which is going to sound a little bit like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but, but I'm not, 
While I am for higher levels of immigration overall, because I truly believe it benefits us as a society and I believe it benefits us as an economy, the, the, the current immigration, and, and this is being recorded in uh, the second quarter of 2022, the, the current, the current process of immigration is, is just not working. We sort of have this unintended open border policy. And again, from where I'm sitting, I see that it's not working. So our community, our church is taking in and becoming engaged with some of these undocumented immigrants who are, who have come in uh, just in the last few months and quarters. And I will tell you, it's really a struggle. And as you, as you work with some of the children, you come to find that local schools are not necessarily prepared for the number of students that they're getting. They're not prepared for as many students who don't speak English as they're getting. These students are being thrown into English-only classes in, in, in crammed classrooms, and they're not being served in the way that you would want them to serve. There's some single moms out there who become really vulnerable as undocumented immigrants um, to some pretty unseemly and honestly even criminal elements that think, we have leverage over this young mother because she knows she's undocumented and we can lie to her and put pressure on her. And we begin to see that sort of thing when you, again, when you're on the ministry side of this. And so I'm for increased levels of immigration, generally speaking. That's my personal opinion, which again is based on being an economist and a minister. But our immigration policy has to be more systematic. It has to be more organized. It has to be more formal. I'm not sure right now that the system is working for anyone. And I'll just close uh, really with this third point. I have, I have said this in other places. I have written uh, editorials about this and so forth. But I strongly believe that Christians should be in favor of that. Christians should be voicing our support for what are called the dreamers. You may have heard of dreamers referred to as DACA. DACA is actually a law. It's it's a poorly structured law uh, that that provided some benefit uh, to the dreamers. Dreamers are just the individuals who were brought to this country uh, when they were too young to basically make or participate in the decision. So the dreamers, I personally know. Uh, the, I think the youngest was brought to the country when she was about three months old and the oldest, uh, he might have been six or seven. I think he was maybe starting second grade or something like that. So dreamers are individuals that, you know, three months to seven years old who were brought into this country by their parents. They didn't have any choice in being here. They've been here so long now. Some of them, in fact, since they were three months old or eight months old or one year old, haven't been back to their birth country they're now in high school and college. They have no, they have no ties back to their country of birth. This is really the only country they know. And yet still, they didn't make the choice to come here. When the Bible talks to Christians about helping other people, it often uses this description of orphans and widows. Orphans and widows is the Bible's generic description for individuals who are in a bad situation through no fault of their own. Some, the man who was working and taking care of the household dies. And now there's a child without a father and a, a, a widow without a husband. And those are the, but they, they're not to blame. Those are the people we want to help. The dreamers 
fall right in the middle of what the Bible describes as the subpopulations that Christians need to personally work to try to help. Dreamers are individuals that Christians should support. Here's what happens. Both political parties have at one time or another said, we understand the dreamers' plight, we feel for the dreamers, and we want to help the dreamers. Here's the problem. Both parties have had an opportunity where they control the presidency, the House of Representatives, and the Senate. Both the Democrats have done that at one point under Obama and the Republicans at one point under Trump. And yet neither party has put in a full, a permanent solution for the dreamers. Let me just put it that way. Each party tries to use the dreamers as pawns, as leverage. We want a comprehensive immigration package, they will say. We need a comprehensive immigration policy. And we'll give the dreamers what they need if the other party will compromise with us on what we really want for immigration overall. And just to be blunt, as a minister, I think that's absolutely disgusting and shameful. Shame on our politicians. There needs to be a time when you when you work for compromise in politics and when you use your leverage in politics. And then there needs to be a time when you simply say, these individuals are in a difficult situation. Dreamers, DACA uh, individuals, they have to reapply every couple of years. They get work cards, but they can't become citizens. They can't vote, etc. Uh, everything, their social security numbers, it's all temporary. It's a horrible situation to be in. There's just this constant sense that I don't have a permanent solution, that I'm really not sure that my life is stable. That's unfair to these individuals. As a Christian, it breaks your heart for these individuals. And it is absolutely shameful and pathetic that our elected leaders won't say they could right now, they could stop, they could call a special meeting and they could say, either party could start this. And they could say, let's put a dreamer-specific package in place. Let's don't worry about broad immigration. Let's don't worry about level of immigration. Let's don't worry about comprehensive immigration reforms and packages. Let's just say for dreamers, for those who have applied for and been accepted into the DACA program, let's put a permanent solution in place for those individuals and take a burden and a weight off their shoulders that for some of them have been there for nearly 20 years. So I would encourage Christians that you need to support the dreamers, the DACA students. And if you get a chance to interact with a congressperson or the, or the man or woman that is your state senator, uh, state uh, senatorial representative in Washington, I would encourage you to push them and push them aggressively that they need to support the dreamers. So in, in, in closing, I don't think the Bible tells us that what type of immigration package or what level of immigration a Christian should uh, support. I really think that's going to vary over time. It's going to vary by geography. I um, mean, it's just going to vary by what you see as, again, national security or economic uh, issues. Here's what the Bible will not give us wiggle room on. As an individual, when you come in contact with someone who is a foreigner who is an immigrant or the child of an immigrant, etc. The Bible absolutely tells us, love them, treat them as a brother and sister, make sure that they get justice and always give them consideration in their in your charity work. Here's the only thing I would add. And when you are deciding 
what immigration policy you support or what politicians you will support because of the immigration policy that they have laid out. Just make sure that those preferences are not based in any way on any type of bias or any type of bigotry. All right. See you next time, folks.